Hey, Pshita, welcome back to Network Capital. It's always such a pleasure to host you here. Um, tell us a bit about uh, who you are, what do you do today, and what's keeping you busy in this uh, post-COVID world? Hi, Utkarsh. Super excited to be back here, and, and I've been looking forward to this session for a while now. Um, I am currently working with, with Nova Credit, but we will come to that in a bit. Um, very quickly, just to sort of give a background about myself, I graduated from SRCC in 2015, um, and then like followed a pretty conventional path, I think. Like I did investment banking for two years with Deutsche Bank. Um, so I was in India for a year, and then in Australia for like another year um, but like investment banking gets boring pretty quickly and like the hours are terrible so after a point I was just like this is this is like too much so I decided to sort of come back to India I always wanted to try impact investing and venture capital um, mm -hmm. so I decided to join this early stage fund called Elevar Equity which is based in Bangalore um, with offices in Seattle as well which was like a completely different ball game going from like the sell side to the buy side and it was sort of like my first experience in tech um it was a short and sweet like one year sort of stint and then i was super fortunate to um get to know the people at michael and susan dell foundation which i mm -hmm. ended up um, it was pretty cool because like till then they didn't really hire people pre-MBA. So um, I feel like it was a great opportunity that I was able to, to get. And the role there was very different. Like I was doing investing because that's sort of the skill set I had. So I was doing early stage investing in edtech startups and also doing portfolio management. Um, but then a completely new and different thing was like working with the government of Haryana on large scale education transformation reform in mm -hmm. like public schools and secondary public schools of Haryana itself. So um, not to go into too much detail, but that was like a completely different and like life changing type of experience. Experience. Um, and then, yeah, like I'm a typical like Indian kid, so obviously had to do the MBA. There was like, um, that was like a given. So I, I, <laughs> so I applied to business school in 2019, actually. So it feels like a long way back. Um, was fortunate enough to to get into to the schools of my choice and decided to join Stanford. Um, I actually had to start at the GSP last fall, but like COVID and, and um, everything mean, meant that I deferred. So here I am. Um, I actually had like an interesting experience even before Nova Credit. Last year, I was, um, after three years of being an investor, I was like, oh, I also like, it's time that I started up because like there's this itch to build. Um, so I started up in the content discovery space last year uh, with my startup called Comet, where we were trying to really build a curation business and say that, you know, how can we really democratize the discovery of learning-based content? So it was a bit of like my ed tech background along with like a consumer social lens on top of it. Um, right. And like for a variety of reasons, we sort of decided to step back 
um, from that earlier this year. Um, so, so sort of worked on that for a little less than a year. Um, and now that I'm headed to business school this fall, I decided to like really challenge myself and like work with a super driven and like energetic team on a problem that is um, personally also something that I feel passionate about and also <laughs> is a problem that is worth solving for the world in general. Um, and that's what brought me to Nova Credit. That's a super long answer to your super short question. But you've had such an interesting experience. I would imagine the answer to be longer, <laughs> but you did a job of condensing it. So look, Ipshita, it seems that you've um, you've had a really interesting career um, with Elevar and um, Dell investing in a wide range of uh, spaces. Did you? Um, what did you learn about yourself and your career choices through each of your uh, experiences? What did you learn from investment banking? What did you learn from LFR and then uh, finally doing portfolio management and other things at Dell at a fairly young age. What did you learn? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I think like before I go into each of these individually, I think like the one big learning that I, if I could condense the last five to six years has been um, that it's all about the people. And I feel like I didn't give it as much importance when I started out because I was like, oh, you know, like the work needs to be exciting and, and like I need to have a good role. And like, even if I don't get along well with the people, we can always figure that out. But like now my biggest learning is that it's all about the people. If the people are good, like you will learn, you will be challenged and like your experience will be amazing, irrespective, almost irrespective of what you're doing, as long as it's within some bounds of what you like doing. Um, so I think like that's literally been like my biggest learning. Um, and then specifically, I think like Deutsche was... I was literally 20 when I joined DB um, because I did a three-year undergrad. Um, and then I was like working on all these um, massive billion dollar deals. So it was more about like hard skills more than anything else, like really sort of not being afraid of numbers and like, um, like really massive projects and like not thinking like it was a lot of it was just like overcoming the imposter syndrome like to be very honest because like when you're sitting in like and I was working in mining so which is like a super male dominated sector um so if you're sitting in a boardroom with like 60 year olds and who are like or men so it was a lot of it was just like finding my own voice and knowing that you know even at 20 what I had to say was important um so I think that was really like my big learning from Deutsche. Um, coming to Elevar, um, I think it was a lot of it was just a cultural shift, right? Because like I went from this big, massive bulge bracket bank to like a startup almost. We were like 10, 12 people working out of like a Bangalore um, office, which was also a house converted into an office. So a lot of it was just sort of figuring out how to adapt to a completely different work setting and work environment. And I think like what I really learned was stepping up and um, taking like owners for decision making and not just for like uh, the small tasks that are given to like investment banking analysts, so to say, like a lot of it was just about trusting my own self and trusting my intuition and knowing that most calls are actually 
not as big as we make them to be. And like, if I have to take like a call with respect to a portfolio company or with respect to an investment, it's okay to like, just trust myself and do it. Um, so I think that was, um, that was like my big learning from Elevar. And then um, the Dell Foundation was probably like the best experience I've ever had. And like, just being able to distill it into one learning will probably be super tough. Um, but I think like coming back, the people that Dell were like so amazing that it just made every single day at work something to look forward to. And like mm -hmm. some, I, I never felt like I was actually working. Um, and I was always thinking about work even on the weekends because of how much I like what I was doing and how much I like the people. So I think um, it really sort of made me realize that the one thing we should always optimize for as people. And then like the last thing I'd probably say is that it was, I was leading like a lot of people who were much elder to me and like both in seniority and experience and, and all those sort of things. So it really sort of made me more like confident and come into like my own in terms of um, being able to um, lead people who um, don't fit within those like you know, boundaries of what we think managerial employee relationship should look like. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think that was, that was like my big learning. And then, um, yeah, I guess like it was all about, it's okay to also sometimes like fail and it's okay to also like sometimes accept that you tried your best and you failed. Um, and there's no shame in that. Like, I think I really started doing that after my time at the foundation. Um, yeah. So yeah. That's amazing. And of course, like applying to business school makes perfect sense because, you know, you had uh, worked for four years yeah. and uh, done reasonably well. Were you clear about what you wanted to do long term? Because uh, not just for business school, but, uh, but for yourself, did you, by 2019, had you figured out what you wanted to spend your one meandering life doing? Uh <laughs> The the honest, I'm I'm wondering whether I should give you the honest answer or the application answer. The honest <laughs> answer is is that no, I did not know that. And in fact, even after I got in, and like I remember alums like calling me to congratulate, and they were like, "Oh, what do you want to do with your two years at the GSB?" And I was like, I was so focused on just like getting in. Um, and it's like such a given in most Indian kids' lives that they have to do the MBA that like. I wasn't super sure of like why I was doing it in the first place. Um, and interestingly, like the last year and a half has been like a blessing in disguise because working on my own startup and like now in another role at another startup has really now given me the clarity of what I think I would want to do both during the MBA as well as after that. And what might that be? <laughs> Um, I am going to be as Silicon Valley as it gets and try to start out. Like that's mm -hmm. literally, like, I think there is no high that better than building. And, and to be very honest, like it's more about impact. Like my view of impact earlier was like impact investing is the best way of creating impact. And that's also sort of shifted. Um, and now I feel like if you can build something which solves a real need in like a few people's lives, um, and they can like give you a chunk of their attention or value or money. Um, and you can literally like, 
I read Zero to One and that sort of changed my view of impact. And, and, I, and I do think like I, I will try to keep starting up until, until it happens. Yeah, Zero to One is actually a really good book. And yeah. uh, these days, I mean, I can imagine with Comet, uh, uh, building a curation service is so important because there's so yeah. much information out there just figuring out the best way to make exactly. sense of it. I'm pretty sure at, uh, at some point you will get that business to where it needs to be. Yeah. But uh, tell us about the other startup that you joined. Uh, what's that all about? Um, so it's called Nova Credit. It's um, It was actually started by three people at the GSB at Stanford when they were doing their MBA about four, four and a half years back. Um, and the vision is very simple. And like, it's actually for people like you and I, um, for people moving to another country from like their home countries, life, their financial life basically starts from scratch. You have to build your credit history again. You don't get access to the best financial products. So you could go to Harvard or Stanford, but your financial life still starts from zero again. Um, and it was this problem that the founders themselves faced. And it was it is this exact problem that that Nova Credit was started to solve, and I think over the years it's now evolved into this bigger vision of um, building like a unified global like financial ecosystem um, across countries and across borders, and. Um, you know, so that like literally everybody, irrespective of which country they come from, can really like have access to equal financial opportunities and like really unlock their potential. That's amazing. And that's so true. Like, you know, you can, uh, you know, graduate from the best institutions, work at really good places, uh, but it becomes zero. So how are you all tackling this problem? What's the solution? How did you stumble yeah. upon the insight? Yeah, yeah. Um, the solution is is very simple, and sometimes when I talk to users, they almost say like it's too good to be true. Mm -hmm. um, it is that let's say you are someone who's moving from India to the US to attend school. Um, if you built a good credit history and a good credit score in India, Nova Credit helps you use your Indian credit history and Indian credit score to access financial products in the US. Um, and how do we do that? We've partnered with, uh, we've partnered with a lot of like financial institutions in the U.S. So, mm -hmm. for example, on the credit card side, we've partnered with American Express. On the student loan side, we've partnered with Empower Financing. Um, so then, like for someone like Ipshita who's moving from India to the U.S., Nova Credit can can convert her like Indian credit score to a U.S. equivalent credit score. And that U.S. equivalent credit score can then be used by um, all these financial partners to sort of evaluate someone like me for a credit product. Um, I don't know if that sounded like very jargony, but I'm happy to like go into more details as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I've been through the process, so I understand. But I would imagine that uh, some people who've not gone through this process will need some more simplification. So yeah. what does it mean when you land, say, in, in the U.S. or yeah. in Europe? Uh, what happens most of the time? You're, uh, you start from scratch because your credit history doesn't sort of, it's not interoperable. How do yeah. you make it interoperable with, with yeah. this particular product? Yeah, yeah. And actually, you brought up a good point, like just to actually take a step back, like what happens when you land in, in the U.S. or in Europe, right? What actually happens? 
one if you're from india like you typically don't even know that credit scores are important like here if i have to take a loan i just like can take it on my parents credit score and like other than for taking a loan or for a credit card my credit score is not really like referenced anywhere um but for example when you land in the us and you want to buy like a postpaid mobile phone plan right even your mobile phone operator checks your credit score before giving you a postpaid plan or if you want to rent an apartment um they will check your credit score before letting you sign that lease and let's say what happens if you don't have a us credit score two things can happen one you don't get access to that service people just say no like sorry like but when you have a credit score you can come back or two like you pay an upfront much higher security deposit to sort of overcome the fact that you don't have a credit score so like you may put down a $1000 deposit to to um just tell your landlord that look i have money i will be able to pay my rent on time here's a $1000 deposit that uh my peer does not have to pay but i have to pay um that that's the situation that we're in and it's it's funny because like when we're in india we don't really realize that this is what we will get into um and then to answer a specific question about how do, does nova credit make it interoperable is that nova has partnerships with credit bureaus in many countries india being one of them so let's say we have partnered with transunion civil in india um so when like a customer goes to the nova credit website you can enter your personal details um based on your personal details we're able to pull out your indian credit record from civil let's say hypothetically you have like an 800 credit score in india which is considered as mm-hmm. a good credit score right nova's proprietary algorithm at the back end is able to convert that to what would that 800 convert to in us terms if you had a score um so let's say that 800 converts to like a 600 in us terms because a 600 is what's considered good right um and that's what experian or 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 equifax would use in the us hmm. that that credit report of what your us score would look like is then sent to whatever financial partner you're applying to um so that in their sort of record you're almost like a us applicant with a us score almost like that right so for them sure. they're not having to um to make big concessions they're still able to get like a us equivalent of credit report to sort of underwrite you and sort of assess you um and like nova does that magic in the middle of being able to convert those scores um which is why like we've partnered with only a few players in each product because it really like involves a lot of effort in terms of making the partner understand and comfortable with how nova credit does this, this translation of credit score right um and for the longest time like we were more like a b2b company where um let's say we partner with american express or like empower financing they are supposed to like bring customers for their own business and then um when they bring their own customers and someone says that i don't have a us credit history they're then able to use nova credit the back end to check if this person has a credit score in any other country which they can then convert and assess them so that's sort of like how this works um about 2 years back we also launched a, a direct to consumer business where which is what like i just described some time back where you can 
uh, you Utkarsh can go to Nova Credit's website, put in your details. We'll say, oh, you have a good credit score in India. And therefore we think that these are like all the credit cards you could qualify for in the US and then help you use that score to apply for those cards. I see. Um, is this uh, conversion of say 800 to 600 uh, a very complicated conversion or is it fairly intuitive? I would imagine if you have a high credit score in India, you would have a high credit score uh, yeah. in the US, but maybe there yeah. is more to it. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, yeah. So it is a bit of both. Yes, like it is intuitive that a high credit score would map to a higher credit score in the US, but um, there would be a lot of other parts of like a credit report, like a score is just, for example, one part. Um, hmm. Like not to go into too much technicality, but like a credit report would typically also have how many credit products you have under outstanding for how long have you had them. Um, and all those sort of things do count towards um, do count towards your actual credit score, depending mm -hmm. on sort of like which bureau you're translating it to in the US, that that calculation or that conversion could also differ. So it's a fairly involved, the long story short is it's a fairly involved calculation, which hmm. even like, I, I'm not sure about your statistics and like modeling skills, but I am not going to be able to do it. Like our data hmm. scientists in-house are the ones who are able to sort of build models, um, which are able to do that prediction. Got it. What other alternatives? I remember um, uh, yeah. this problem is a real one because uh, when, I, uh, when I was at INSEAD, or when I was at Wharton during both the times, I mean, I did of course get a card, but I don't remember exactly what the process was, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, e as easy as one would have hoped. Uh, maybe yeah. it has become more challenged in the past few years, but tell us uh, about the mapping. What does the market really look like? What alternatives exist? Um, yeah. Do I really need a credit card? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I think like, in fact, your last question is actually like a great question. Do I even need a credit card? It, you will not believe it. I've been like working in finance all these years, but I got my first credit card last year because you just don't need it in India, you know? Like, hmm. uh, and I think like for me also, it was a bit difficult to understand why do you need a credit card in the first place so urgently um, hmm. as, 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 uh, as it sounds. And I think the, the easiest, answer to that is you need a credit score like it's as simple as that you need a credit score to rent an apartment get a phone plan buy a car get a mortgage like literally for everything and the easiest way to start building a credit score is by getting a u.s credit card um those of us who take let's say student loans also start building a u.s credit score using that loan um but let's say you start repaying only after you graduate you know two years in so that's till that point you don't have a u.s credit score so like Till that point, um, if you want to access all, any of these other services, you're at a loss. You, you have to pay higher security deposits. Um, so a credit card is sort of like the easiest and most consumer-friendly way of, mm -hmm. of, of starting to build that credit score without having to, to really like manage that credit building process itself. It's super like intuitive. Um, so that's sort of the reason why um, everybody in the US and like even in the UK, I imagine would be using credit cards. Um, I think to answer your first question around what does the market mapping look like? Um, it's an interesting one and it's evolving. I think 
maybe two years back it was almost like people just wait it out like they literally just wait it out if you can't get a credit card like without having a credit card you just like don't get one for two years and then um sometimes like if you have relatives you try to get like um sign on cards with them or like sometimes you just sort of accept the fact that you have to pay like two three thousand dollars in deposits um and you just set that money aside and you don't get a credit card until you start working let's say if you yes. if you've moved as a student right or if you worked as a as a working professional you just realize that you know maybe one to two years down the line is when i start like when i can get cards um the other alternative which is sort of the one that's been around the longest is a secured credit card which is let's say you go to like a bank and open a bank account the bank can say that you know if you make like a $1000 deposit i'll give you a secured credit card which is not really a credit card it's funny because like you're paying them up front to get it um it's more like you pay them $1000 and they'll be like oh here's your credit card with like a $600 credit limit uh but it's it's better than not having one because then you start building your credit score at least you know so that's sort of the that's sort of the easiest a solution that that did exist um all this while and as you can imagine secured credit cards don't have as many rewards and points and it's it's basically for people with like really poor credit history typically um hmm. then the other like otherwise like within the nova space in terms of like being able to use like your home country credit history there's um, no direct competition as such to be very honest like people are not um, are not using this method of of allowing people to get credit but um, i think in the last maybe year or so there are other models that have come up to solve the same problem um yeah. i would like i want to name for there are people who sort of let's say focusing only on the student segment right so if you focus only on the student segment then you're able to build in let's say many other factors into your underwriting which which university are they in which course are they doing okay typically for people in this university and this course what much, how much can we expect they will make in salary and so how much like can we give them a credit card without having a credit history um uh, the only difference is those credit cards are typically sort of not as branded um and they will therefore not have as many rewards and they're sort of assuming that you don't have prior credit history they're like you're new to credit in the US here's a credit card so that you can start paying your score very interesting um so there's lots of innovation that is uh, coming in yep. this space and yep. um, you you can look at it vertically horizontally it seems like um um this uh, there should be a lot more happening here what yeah. excites you most about this problem and uh, how might students engage with uh, nova credit because so many of our community members um have gotten into top schools in europe yeah. and the us uh, are, can they automatically get uh, get their credit sorted through you guys yeah yeah so let me answer the second question first is um for now we're only sort of focusing on on people who are moving to the US but we're hoping to launch internationally in the UK also maybe later this year or next year um so that's very much on the cards for people who are moving to the US um it's actually pretty straightforward if you go to novacredit.com um you have to select the country you're moving from let's say you select India um you enter like your personal details they'll ask you mm-hmm. for your basic 
details like your, your name and like your address and all of that for us to sort of pull your Indian credit report. Um, and let's say after you complete the sign-up process, what you will be able to see is like your Indian credit score, which you hopefully already know. Um, and then like your sort of translated US equivalent credit score. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on that sort of translation, you will also be able to see a list of all the credit cards that you currently um, sort of qualify for. Let's say you qualify for five cards. You sort of can then um, choose which card you want to apply for. We have filters which help you sort of see whatever's most important to you. Um, and then you can sort of click through and apply for those cards. Um, so it's it's pretty simple and straightforward. The only sort of thing uh, worth uh, thinking about there is that um, you need to have moved to be able to apply. Um, you can't apply while you're still in India. I know like a lot of people ask this question. Um, and that's usually because most of our partners want to be able to verify your US um, address. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so you will have your card once you land in August. Yes, yes, yes. That's, okay. that's what I'm looking forward to. Super. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I love asking this question to, you know, the uh, folks we invite for our masterclasses and podcasts. You could have um, pretty much chosen any internship um, at this stage, touch wood, yeah. you're in a you know pretty uh, strong, le- strongly leveraged position right now. What yeah. personally attracted you most towards this company's mission, and how did you evaluate it versus the other offers that you might have yeah. had? One is, of course, like you had your own company, which I imagine is still running. Yeah. But uh, tell us about the pre MBA mindset. Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, and, and I don't have a perfect answer for that, but I have, um, I have an honest answer. Um, I think what personally attracted me to the company is super like um, simple. It's, it's the fact that I know that I will face this problem six months on the line. And my brother moved to the US two years back, to, four years back actually to like do his master's. And he, he actually failed he to a tier one university as well and have access to credit. Um, a lot of my friends sort of were in the literally the same boat. So the fact that the problem was so close to home just made me like super intrigued about wanting to solve it because I genuinely believe that if you can really personally identify with the problem, you're just like your motivation to want to solve it is, is on a different plane altogether. At least that's the case with me. Um, and then I think, that's sort of what attracted it to me and me to sort of know in the first place. But very quickly, it became all about the people. I spoke mm. with Nika, who's, um, who's the co-founder and CEO. And um, it's very interesting. I didn't know him from before. I just like wrote an email and he, he responded without even knowing me, which itself tells you a lot about. It tells you, like, yeah. You know, and like the, it's like a super well-capitalized company. So like they, they don't need to like reply to cold emails. Um, so I think that was that. And I think the second thing was literally every single person I spoke to um, fit this Venn diagram of being super smart, but also being super nice. Um, and I think that is literally what I was trying to optimize for, that mm-hmm. um, how can I ensure that not just the person I personally am going to work with, but literally everybody in the organization is super driven, but also not jerks you know, for the lack of better words. So I think yeah. that was like, 
that is what really sort of sealed the deal for me on Nova that I felt like there was no red flag, so to say. Um, I love the mission, I love the people. Um, and I also sort of uh, knew that I would get the autonomy, yet the direction that I needed. Um, and that's a very like difficult sort of balance to try. How do you have autonomy, but also have guidance when you need it? And I felt like it was just a feeling I got when I sort of had those initial interactions. Um, and then to answer your second question about like how I sort of evaluated it versus other opportunities. Um, I actually was was uh, was pretty confused in the beginning because I was trying to like, as you can imagine, right? We're MBA, we're trying to optimize for everything without giving up anything. Um, yeah, and that's like that's sort of the person I am. I'm like, why do I give up anything, right? Um, but then it it really came down to the fact that I knew I would have fun working here, and I knew that. Um, of all the companies like that I had spoken with, these are the people I would work for if people was the only consideration I had. And given mm-hmm. like my past learnings about people and like um, what we spoke about earlier earlier on this on this call, I just like sort of followed my heart there and and, and decided to um, to take this without over intellectualizing it because mm-hmm. in my experience, whenever like I've over intellectualized a lot of decisions like including which business school to go to um but ended up always picking the one that I was just like my heart sort of said is the right one um Mm. and so like it was it was it's it's I I'm unable to give you like these one or two pointers like mental models because they just did not exist no, no, we love that. You know, the whole reason we do these uh, masterclasses is so that others can figure out that uh, uh, their relatable mentors may not have everything figured out from the beginning and you sort of figure it out as things go. So I think thank you for your candor. It'll help a lot of people. Have you ever taken a break? It's a good question. And yes, I have. And mm-hmm. for a long time, I was... I did not want to accept it because like um, I at least was the kind of person who was always comparing that, you know, my parents, peers are doing this and they're not taking a break. Oh my God, am I being left behind? Um, and at least in finance and like the sort of places I've worked at, like taking a break is not something people do uh, five years into their careers. It's what people do like 25 years into their careers, you know? Um, but I was... Um, I I quit my job in February last year, despite the fact that I loved it. Um, and I wanted to travel for six months. I literally was like planning a six month break pre, pre-GSA and we all know what happened to those plans. <laughs> uh, but even when that did not pan out, I didn't like, I decided to not go back to work immediately. I took two months and I actually did not have a plan for two months. I just like woke up every morning and like read and did nothing. And um, I personally feel that was like the best thing I could have done for myself um, because I was I had not slept eight hours every day for, in five years and it just felt so different to do that <laughs> so mm-hmm. like for nothing else but to get like that eight hours sleep um, it felt worth it and I felt like I came back um, I came back much more peaceful like when I started Comet I don't think you can start a company uh, when you're 
like you would know that more than anybody else. Like you can't start a company when you're running the rat race. Like you need to be able to like, um, take a step back and, and only when your mind is quiet can you do that. Yeah. So you're now, you're charged physically, mentally, you know, all possible yeah. ways and you're playing a meaningful role in building uh, this yeah. really interesting venture. So you've already talked about where people can go and, and find uh, yeah. find more about uh, Nova Credit and other stuff that yeah. you've done. Uh, any parting advice for people who are uh, thinking through graduate school or pre MBA internships or just like career wisdom from you know a peer? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like on the pre MBA period, I actually do have some advice given that I've gone through two cycles of being pre MBA. Um, is that like, don't try not to optimize for your career in those, like, six months that you have before business school because you've been doing that, like, um, someone like me was, has been doing that all her life. And you have literally all your life to also do it again. So if there's literally anything else that you want to do, like, you should definitely do it. For me, for example, that was starting a company. There is no way I would have been able to start it had I not had this um, backing of knowing that I, I was going to go for the MBA or um, and if there's like personal stuff that you want to invest in you should definitely do that when I was working for four years I didn't I couldn't read I couldn't write and I've now been able to sort of get back into both of those um, so personally like I have now realized that work is a part of life and work is not life and it's only because like I took this time off so definitely take time off um, and graduate school advice, I think like people can watch my masterclass and there's like so much, so much advice on that yeah. out there. But I would only say that don't make the graduate school admission the end in itself. Like always remember that it's a means to an end. Um, I know it's easier said than done and maybe it sounds a bit rich coming from someone who's going to graduate school herself, but um yeah, I think there's especially like today, there's a lot of other options and a lot of other good, very as good options. Um, so don't make your entire life and all your decisions about getting into the graduate school. Yeah. Uh, yet again, Ipshita, this was a delight hosting you and we can't wait for you to be back with us soon. All the best for your adventures in India while you're here and in the US. I'm pretty sure our paths will continue to collide. Yeah, thank you, Utkarsh. You have, as always, been great. Thank you so much.